Adam Lieberman back in the co-host chair today. Look at you. Well, when I get invited to <laughs> or informed that there is a, uh, a guest and you yeah. know, to come in, I, I can manage it. Yes. Now, um, whenever I'm doing the Wisecracks show, uh, you send me these little hate messages. Oh, you didn't want to get him for Action Junkies? You don't want to get him for Action Junkies? I'm wondering, are you happy with today's Action Junkies guest? I am very happy with yeah, today's Action you, Junkies guest. Because you jumped on the invite when I said, hey, are you available? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the guest I speak of is Mr. Brian Cuban, brother to Mark Cuban. Who's right behind you, technically. <laughs> Looking after you. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. We're good. Thank you for doing this. This was uh, Facebook. It's social media. It gets so much uh, crap, you know, for, for making people buried in their phones and stuff like that. But, like, we're Facebook friends. I don't even know how we became Facebook friends, but I'm glad we're Facebook friends. And I, I, I shot him a DM. I saw him posting about the, the, a, a new book. That he, that he wrote that's coming out, and I was like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? And he actually wrote me back, Adam. How about that? Hey, you know what? After all the drugs I used to do in Vegas, this is probably as close as I should get. <laughs> well, you know, th he's the one out of the 500 that wrote you back, so right. that's, that's yeah. a plus. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. <laughs> that's good stuff. Uh, so you, you live in Dallas, obviously, right? Yes. It was funny. I was just in L.A. a couple days ago, and I was staying downtown uh, at the Marriott which is right connect. It's like connected to the Ritz um, at LA Live, and we're getting on our elevator, and these three giants got on, and they're wearing Mavs shorts and and tops. I didn't realize that they were in town playing the Lakers the day after we left, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they're playing actually. Uh, they're in town playing the Clippers. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, so. yeah. At, at the Crypto.com Arena, almost. Oh, almost. Not yet. Not, not yet. quite yet. Not yet. But yeah. Yes. People well, are upset about changed, that. Huh? Yeah, right. People are upset about that. Well, I mean, I don't know why they get so upset. Like they, they just don't get it. I all guess. about the dollars and cents. Yeah, I mean, it's not like if it was named after the team, I could see where you'd be upset. You know, if Dodger Stadium all of a sudden became Home Depot Stadium, you'd be like, "What the hell?" But why are you mad that it went from Staples Center to Crypto.com? Yeah. Well, you know what? It, it's all, it's all a part. It's all a, uh, it's part of the times. I, but yeah, I. I you know, Mark would probably kill me for saying this. I saying this, but I sit back. I know nothing. Everything I know about crypto, you could fit on one third of, the, of a pinhead. <laughs> but uh, I look at these naming rights and stuff. It wasn't there an arena it's called Pets.com Arena once. I don't think Pets.com is around anymore, are they? I know that. <laughs> well, it was. Um, is it still Petco Park? I mean, I know that in down San in San Diego. Diego. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some strange ones. There, out there. I think there was a Pets.com uh, arena yeah. though. There, there was there was a lot of internet bubble uh, naming rights. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you you've not uh, you didn't buy into the crypto train yet. I, I don't know an NFT from a DBZ. That's interesting. But so you're you're polar opposite from Mark, probably right? Like he's he's obviously the tech guy. You're just not the tech yeah. guy. Yeah, no, I've never been. Where I mean, his name's Mark. My name's Brian. We're just grew up differently. We have different interests. Yeah, right. Has never. I have never ever been a tech guy. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about your. I know you wrote the book, but let's go backwards. Like before we were on, I asked you if you've been to Vegas, and uh, you hadn't been here in a while. Tell us. Tell us your story. Well, I am in uh, long-term recovery from cocaine and alcohol addiction, as well as an eating disorder, believe it or not. Uh, bulimia. Yeah, guys do get them. And uh, for many years, uh, I have almost, I'm going on 15 years in recovery now. Congrats. But for many years, a lot of my serious, hardcore partying was done in Vegas. I mean, I'd fly in, I would meet my cocaine dealer before I even checked in at my hotel, and uh, it was just one long party. I'll tell you a funny story, and we can get into a lot of these stories. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there was one. There was one particular trip to Vegas. I remember that it was just after nine eleven, and I had been in, I had been partying all night, uh, just blowing and going, and I had to catch my air my flight. It was about a seven a.m. flight, so I I mean I'm packed up. I'm in the same clothes. And I get to the airport and I had, I'm standing in line. And you know how McCarran, especially back then, right after 9-11, I mean, the lines were a mile long, yeah. right? So I'm waiting in line and it occurs to me that I still have a baggie of blow somewhere on me. <laughs> and I start, and it was like a scene out of Midnight Express, right? <laughs> if you've seen that where he's. 
no. Come back. We lost him. What a cliffhanger. And scene. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, He'll I'm be sure back. we'll be back in a second. See part two of that yeah. story. <laughs> Brought to you by. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What a cliffhanger. I need Still. to know the, how this ends. I yeah, must well, know. Well. Does it end with a dog sniffing uh, experience? No. Well, I'm trying to remember the movie. Oh, Get Him to the Greek. Do you ever see that one? Great movie. A very underrated. It, it's the movie that actually made me like P. Diddy. Okay. But that, that when Russell Brand tells uh, yeah. John the Hill's character to stick the blow up his ass, you yeah, know. it's it's Russell Brand and um, what's Jonah this? Hill, Jonah Hill, right, 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 Jonah Hill, yeah, yeah. such a good movie. Yeah. That's a fun movie. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. And they really captured like what it is like working with some celebs. Um, I'm sure you know as well too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that that's good stuff. Travis, any update? I think our building lost internet. Like it's another an outage. outage? Yeah. Oh no. Do you want to email him? Um yeah. Shoot him an email. Oh my god. Can't catch a break. I know. Wow. I can't load Google. Usually is a good sign. Or bad sign really. Um Oh my god, I'll send him an email. Okay, cool. Hmm. Are we still rolling? Might as well be. It's something to do. I like this. It's like real authentic. Yeah. Gary V says authenticity wins. That's right. This podcast is winning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have internet, so. The building has an internet outage. You know, I wonder when that sort of stuff happens is... Is it the entire building? Is it portion of the building? It's usually entire buildings or neighborhoods. So is UFC out then too? I bet they have a direct line. Fuckers. If we had fiber, if we spent the $1,000 a month, this couldn't happen. Literally wouldn't be able to. And that's probably what UFC has. Well, fucking believable. All right. Well, while I have you, I was going to say let's do a second show after this, actually a quick one, but we can do it. We can do it now. I'm curious. I saw Hall of Fame... Ballots. Yes, I saw that There's as well. A handful of particular names. I know you know where I'm headed. No, I know exactly where you're headed. Um, it's the last year for some. There's the last year for some. Um, the, the, in fact, the one that surprised me was Kurt Schilling, actually saying he does not want to be on the ballot. And that's he's not in. I'm actually. Sh- I didn't realize he wasn't in yet. He's not in because of his political views. Is that the deal? I think it's numbers. He never yeah. cheated, right? No. Um, well, no, not that I'm aware of. Right. But and, definitely opinions. And, but it's not. Um, his numbers are there, though, aren't they? Or I no? would say so. I think, if I remember correctly, last year he was at 71%, and you need 75% to get in. But I mean his like career numbers. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah. No, I know. Um, I was curious because you, I think of you a lot when those types of things come up because a lot of times mm-hmm. we're agreement and sometimes we're not. So I'm curious about Barry, Sammy Sosa, Manny, uh, is Manny Ramirez is on there, and Clemens. Yes, so... Um, and Pettit, I think. Well, for Sosa's never getting in. There's no way. Because... Well, you know, the thing with Sosa, which is interesting to me, is that um, Clemens' uh, bonds have had decent numbers, uh, um, percentage-wise. I mean, they're short. writers, writers, yeah. right? If I remember correctly, Sammy Sosa is like at 17% last year. How is that possible? I don't know. I couldn't figure that one out. Um, When I look back, I mean, I remember my freshman year of college watching Sosa and McGuire go back and forth that summer. So excited. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing to see. Um, The two new names on that list are the ones that are going to be real interesting. Is That's A-Rod and David Ortiz. Right. They're up for their first Did time. Did David get suspended? He for? never got suspended. However, he was named in that long... In the... Um, the whatever report. report. Yes. The, uh, the, uh, yes. Damn. Yes. Yeah. But um, so... Um, m- m- uh, starts with an M, maybe. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, um, personally, I think... Um, I think Clemens... I think Clemens should be in. You do. I think Bond should be in. I'm shocked. I actually um, didn't think you'd say yes. As much I, I as much as I hate the Red Sox, I love David Ortiz, so I think he should be in. Manny. 
I'm not a fan of Mandy. I've never been a fan but of come Mandy. come on. I mean, but numbers, based upon those right. lines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, A-Rod's the one that's kind of... I love A-Rod. Right? You know, and I, I loved him when he played, you know, Seattle, Texas, and, of course, the Yankees. Um, I love him now, what he's done, and I think he's just made an incredible name for himself. But the fact of the matter is he served a year suspension. So it's time served. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's... It's he time paid served. his due. Right. Yeah, you know, and... I guess I get why they don't look at it like this, but like all those guys were phenoms long before their bodies changed from PEDs. Yeah, but unfortunately, those sports writers, especially the baseball ones, are the purists. Right. They're the ones that have been around for years and years, and they right. just, you know, I mean, I, I, I look at a... But a, Dwight Gooden's in, right? No. He's not in? No. No way. Did he not make it in? I, I, don't, I don't think he has the numbers to make it in. He doesn't? Oh. Uh, and strawberry, same no, thing. Same. Wow, I didn't no. realize that. Yeah, I, I just feel like, how do you not have? It's like Pete. It goes back to Pete Rose too, right? It's like, how how do you not put these guys in? Like like, they're still famous, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. But you know, like when I think of like a Peter Gammons, yeah. that's kind of guy. When I think of sports writer or right. baseball writer. And he's, they're not going to put him in. And Tim Kirchin, they don't, you know, these guys don't. Is there a, if they don't make it in, is there a scenario at some stage of the game where a commissioner uh, can override that and get them in or no? That's separate, I don't, right? I, yeah, it's separate, right? I think it's from separate. MLB. It's yeah. its own entity. Yeah, it's its own thing. So. But maybe a, a director of the Hall of Fame or something could veto everybody or well, something? Like, you know, the interesting thing about it is I look at the NFL Hall of Fame. Right. And uh, the football, if I should say. And David Baker, who is the um, director or executive director of the Hall of Fame for yeah. uh, in Canton, um, shady guy. I love him. Nice guy, but shady as all hell. And single-handedly is the reason why the Arena Football League doesn't exist anymore. In really? The, in, the, in the state it was. Yeah. Okay. Embezzlement and a bunch of stuff. Right. So, you know, if you can lead it. So, we'll see. Um, and I know we talked about this the other day, but how about them Cleveland Guardians? I can't even acknowledge that as the name of a baseball team. No different than I cannot acknowledge the Washington football team, even though I just did. That one, um, see, like, and that I doesn't think bother you? No, because well, I think the they, Redskins. They, they need you to understand Redskins as being offensive, but Indians. Uh, let's give it a pass. I mean, you have the Braves, the Seminoles. I mean, they could go on and on. Um, Travis, I, he just yeah. said, not sure what happened, but I'm waiting to be back, let in the zoom. But yeah. It's just because we don't have access to internet um, right now. So if you, if he's willing to like hang tight, um, I'm not sure how long this will take we until we get internet again. To sort um, let me see if I can connect. No, I can't do it. Spot or no, it doesn't work. Not because we're sharing the screen as well. It doesn't, I could share my cellular service, but we'd lose connection to the screen sharing. So upsetting. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cox. I feel like we're um, back in somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Waka waka. Got him. Um, but yeah, to think that that kids that are you know love the game and and that follow the game to think that those names don't end up in the Hall of Fame is just it's mind blowing to me. It is. It really is. And and I, you know, I get the drug use and that kind of stuff, but. I, I'm trying to figure out as a society. <laughs> What's that? That was an accident, but uh, oh. I think we have internet again. We have internet again. But uh, let me just, that's our internet bell. That's the wow. internet bell. All right. Well, that's kind of cool. Well, it's like we just did a morning fix. Yeah. And I, I just got a ring alarm that we've been reconnected. Oh, yep. nice. So. Okay. Let's get back to the app. Do you see him back in there? Yeah. I'm going to admit him soon. All right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very good. Uh, and then there was another controversial thing I wanted to get your take on. He's here. He can hear is. you. All right. He's back. Well, he didn't go anywhere. We we went. Sorry, Brian. Uh, you know, I don't know. Internet. I guess well, we I was talking and talking, so I have no idea where. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you left off. You left off with, at some point, you realized you might have a baggie on you, oh, yeah. a little okay, baggie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, stand, standing after an all-night party rage. Uh, standing in uh, TSA or whatever they called it then, mile-long line, when I realized that somewhere on my person 
is a baggie of cocaine that I forgot to dispose of. And so I'm inching up to security and I'm sweating. <laughs> it's a scene, literally a scene out of Midnight Express <laughs> where I, in my mind, every uh, security person is looking at me and now my clothes are soaked and I've been up all night anyway. So I smell, now I smell even more and I'm getting up there and I walk through and I'm already planning my concession speech, right? For jail. And, uh, <laughs> and I get, and, and then it goes off. The metal detector goes off and I'm, I'm literally tears are about to burst out. They point me over to a chair and I'm seconds from just blurting out that I have cocaine on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Take me to jail. Take don't pass. Go straight to jail. And uh, my career is over. And uh, it was my shoes. I point to my shoes and said, you, you have big feet. Your shoes probably set them off. Take off your shoes. We're going to test them for explosives. And that was it. And being the cocaine addict that I was, none of that phased me. Once I got through and realized I was safe, I went to the bathroom and popped a couple on. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Uh, what? So what was the what was the moment that changed all of that? Where you were like, okay, enough. I gotta get. I gotta get clean. Well, after a, it was kind of a uh, spectrum. It was kind of a continuum of. Uh, Two trips to a psychiatric hospital, the first in the summer of 2005, after a near suicide attempt, uh, jail, uh, three failed marriages, one more to get a free set of steak knives. There you and, go. Uh, and, then, and then finally, in Easter weekend 2007, and uh, a woman I had been dating moved in with me, and uh, she went away for the weekend, and I went out, uh, and the next thing I knew, it was two days later, I'd had a drug and alcohol-induced blackout. And I'm lying in bed and she knew nothing about my problems. She didn't do drugs. And I was pretty good at hiding it, although not getting as good by that point. Uh, there was, there's a saying, cocaine's fun till it's not. And it had stopped being fun a long time before that. But uh, you keep trying to chase that next line and hoping this is the new fun line. And, uh, but it doesn't come. So she's looking down at me and there's cocaine and there's Xanax scattered about. I, at that point, I was literally, uh, Xanaxing my way through the day and cocaining through the night. I was going to the courthouse under the influence. I was going to the courthouse hungover. I've done cocaine in the federal courthouse here in Texas, in Dallas. I've done cocaine in the state courthouse. And uh, people always do a double take at that. Don't you know you can go to jail? Of course I did. I, I, I was addicted. I, I had an addiction issue, not a stupid issue. <laughs> uh, but what's the definition of addiction? Obsessive compulsive drug seeking behavior in the face of known and probable consequences. Of course, I knew there were possible consequences, but you know that's what addiction is. And so she's looking down and probably trying to want, wondering whether she walked in the right house. I'm trying to think of what lie I can tell to explain this law and order episode orgy of evidence lying around that I might not be the person I represented myself to be. <laughs> And uh, she's a lawyer, so she wasn't going to buy any of it. Not that you needed to be a lawyer to take in the reality of the situation that uh, you're dating a uh, somebody who has a uh, drug drug problem. And so all I could think of was I asked her to take me back to the same psychiatric facility that I had been to in 2005, which of course I had never told her about. You've been to a psychiatric hospital? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but. Uh, I just needed more time to think of an acceptable lie, which of course wasn't going to happen. So we're standing in the parking lot of the same psychiatric hospital for the second time in my life, waiting for intake. She's crying and I'm thinking she's gone. I'd go, right? As fast as I could. Don't even stop. Get in the car. You got me there. Drive. I drive as fast as you can. She didn't. She stood by me. Wow. We dated for over a decade. Wow. Well, well I rebuilt the broken trust and found recovery. And now we've been married over five years. That's, That's a great story. Yeah. So uh, not all relationships will survive these things. Many don't. Yeah. But ours was able to for a number of reasons. One, she's a saint. But two, I had I did a lot of work and I had to do it for me and not for her, not for my brothers, not for my father, my parents, uh, not for my pets, because we lose people. We lose pets. Spouses do leave. Significant others do leave. And that's all trauma and recovery has to be bigger than that, right? Or you're always going to be susceptible to that relapse. Right. So it had to be for me and no one else. And so uh, the next day, 
uh, I walked into my psychiatrist's office Easter weekend, who I'd been lying to, lying to, lying to for two years, showing up also under the influence of cocaine and this and that. Well, why would you lie to your psychiatrist? Shame knows no hourly rate. It doesn't. I was ashamed. And uh, I finally started getting honest with him. He asked me if I want to go to residential treatment. I said, no, I'm much too busy a lawyer to go to residential treatment. I had no cases left, but I'm a busy lawyer, right? I, I had no law practice left. Literally, and this is where privilege comes in. I acknowledge my privilege. Uh, many people who go through addiction don't have privilege, and the vast majority do not have the privilege I had, whether on many levels, skin color, uh, you know, uh, financial, and many different levels of privilege that I would be disingenuous not to acknowledge. It doesn't mean I don't. It doesn't mean I took advantage of it <laughs> uh, when I when I could have to find recovery. But then he suggested uh, twelve step, and for those who don't know what that is, the most well known is Alcoholics Anonymous, but there are others, Narcotics Anonymous and different types. And uh, I, I started ranting. I couldn't go to 12-step because I see them smoking outside and secondhand smoke will kill you. I actually said that to my doctor. <laughs> Can't go, doc. Said you secondhand smoke. Can't do it. Right. <laughs> There's always a reason when you're not ready. Yeah. But I wanted to show some my family uh, that I was doing something and I was motivated by fear more than anything else at that point, fear of losing my family. Because in that parking lot, to cycle back, I thought of something my father said too. Uh, that was really the trigger for my my moving forward. He, uh, my father, who was the uh, a veteran of the Pacific, a CB in uh, on the Battle of Okinawa, fought in Korea. He and his older brother Marty uh, ran a trim shop in Pittsburgh for over forty years. And if you don't know what a trim shop is, it's where they put on convertible tops, they reupholster seats. Hmm. And they did that for over 40 years in the same place. And my father was a middle of uh, three boys like me. And he said to Mark, Jeff and I, Jeff is my younger brother. He said, guys, wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever your life takes you, you pick up that phone and you ask your brother if he's okay. You tell your brother you love him. This was the relationship my father had with his brothers. And he was kind of giving us that gift of family that is also a privilege because I deal with lots of people. I work with lots of people who come from broken families, strange families, people in jail. And uh, so I consider having a strong family unit a privilege as well that I'm grateful to have. And uh, if you want it, and, and he was passing on this gift. And if you want to know how that gift stuck all these decades later, 1200 miles from Pittsburgh where we grew up, Mark, Jeff and I live walking distance to each other. And my father, until he passed three and a half years ago, lived across the street from me. And I don't mean metaphorically, I mean across the street. Wow. That is how that gift stuck. And I wasn't ready to lose my family. And not that I would lose their love because my brother would still love me. My father would still love me. But they were, people get frustrated. Families get frustrated. They try and they distance. I was no longer seeing my nieces and nephews, my father, my brothers. And I didn't want to lose that. And so... That was really the precipitating moment. Why then and not 2005 when Mark and Jeff came into my house and had a 45 automatic on my nightstand? I don't know. Hmm. If we can figure out what, what those when those moments will be, right, we win the Nobel Prize. Yeah. And, and but, going uh, back even a little further, how did, how did the drugs and alcohol get into your life to start with? We have to, to, to understand that you have to go back to Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, I'm a baby boomer back when two cell phones, when cell phones were two cups attached to a string, right? <laughs> back, back when social networking was playing dodgeball on the basketball blacktop or, uh, you know, going viral meant 15 kids in the lunchroom knew you had a crush on a girl. <laughs> so long time ago. And uh, I had a very good, I, I was bullied severely. I was a heavy kid trending towards obese. And uh, I also had a very difficult relationship with my mom. And I'm, I don't blame, I want to make it clear that I don't blame my parents for anything. There's a difference between cause and correlation. And uh, as we know, correlation means that it can affect some kids some way and it won't affect other kids at all. So uh, I do not blame my mother or any parent or anyone for anything. Everything was, were my choices. But uh, there was a lot of fat shaming in my household. I used to come home from school to eat lunch. And I would be eating Chef Boyardee ravioli out of the can back before we had, you know, back when you had to use those old style can openers and mm -hmm. put a spoon in. Didn't even have a microwave, just stick it in, didn't even heat it up. And my mom would come home and see me doing that and call me a fat, say, if you keep eating like that, you're going to be a fat pig. Now, these were the things my mother's mother said to her. These were the things my great grandmother probably said to my grandmother. I come from a 
Eastern European poor Jewish family, very dysfunctional, the stereotypical Jewish grandmother, right? Eat, eat, eat. Yep. And my mother had a very verbally and mentally abusive uh, relationship with her bipolar mother. It was very difficult. And so she had, those were the tools she was given as a young mother in the 70s. I do not fault her in any way, trying to deal with her own mental health issues, but not understanding these things, right? I hadn't taken Psych 101 yet. I'm 13 years old. And uh, I ate more and more to quell my depression, and I became a bigger brine. And as so often happens when kids change for what other kids perceive in the negative at school, the bullying intensified, the fat teasing, the fat shaming, and it all culminated. The bullying all culminated in what I call the day of the gold pants. You guys look like guys that have seen Saturday Night Fever, right? Sure, sure. I know about it, John Travolta, you know, with the disco era. So this was the mid-70s, Mark taught disco, believe it or not. And he had this pair of shiny gold bell-bottom disco pants, and he gave them to me. And I love my brother. They gave me his pants, and I was going to wear those pants to school hell or high water and wear them around because I was proud of him. But Mark wasn't a big guy. He Those pants fit him okay. I had to jump up and down, spray the water bottle. My butt looked like 15 cats trying to get out. <laughs> but I didn't care because I love my brother and we're very close. So I wore them, and the kids made fun of them. And I'm walking home from school one day with these group with this group of kids, a mile walk to my house wearing my shiny gold bell-bottom disco pants. And these were the kids in my mind that were the popular kids, the prom kings, the prom queens. Remember, this is before Al Gore invented the internet. This were, these were the kids I saw every day, right? My images of popularity, getting their first date, their first kiss, going to the football games after school together. And some of them were also the bullies. But in my mind, if I hung around them enough, it would be like a fraternity hazing where one day they'd say, put their arm around me and go, okay, Brian, you're one of us. Come on. But that's not how bullying works. We're walking home and I hung around on the outskirts of them, hoping that, you know, just to take in some of that popularity juju. (laughs) And they start making fun of my pants and they decided among themselves, this group of kids, that I was just too fat to wear those pants and they physically assaulted me. And they ripped my shiny gold bell-bottom pants off me into shreds and threw them out in the street, the shreds out in the street, onto a busy street, down to my Fruit of the Loom tidy whities my Pittsburgh Pirates t-shirt, my Ted's tennis shoes, and my tube socks with the three stripes. I mean, you're probably too young to remember those. Oh, no, I remember. With the three-color stripes. Yep. Right? And uh, walked on, high-fiving each other, and like they had done the greatest thing ever. I walked out in the street. I covered up my tidy whities and waddled home. People gawked, no one stopped. And I got home and uh, I don't know if you guys, I walked down in our basement. Now in Dallas, you talk to people about basements. They think you're from Mars. Do you know what a basement is? Sure, sure. So we walked down in the East, we have basements. We walked down to the basement and I remember guys, it was these wooden stairs in the house my mother still lives in. These wooden stairs and they creaked every time I walked down, nobody was home. The house was silent, but with every creak, I felt like the whole world knew my shame and the whole world knew I did not know how to stand up to bullies. My brothers knew, my parents knew. So I decided I would hide those pants, those shreds at the bottom of a wastebasket and never tell anyone. And I never did. And, but that's not how trauma, and it would just disappear from my life. But that's not how trauma works, is it? Nope. Trauma remembers, trauma threads, and trauma has ways, trauma has ways of finding its way out in very destructive means. And it was right around then that I remember seeing my reflection and seeing this just fat pig who would never be loved, who would never get married, who would never be loved by his mother, by a girl or anyone. And my mother loved me dearly. She was just dealing with her own stuff. And uh, that was the beginning. We talk about the snapshots of our lives and trauma. We all have snapshots of trauma, right? We talk about the snapshots of our lives. And that was one of those snapshots I remember that was so traumatic that I could go to that spot in Pittsburgh, PA and show you exactly where it happened. Wow. And it began there. And it began in somebody who was already classic middle child syndrome, who was somebody, uh, was somebody who was very shy and withdrawn and already trended towards isolation and somebody who already internalized anything negative said to me and about me and ward is who I was like a skin tight suit. So it was kind of the perfect storm of a very shy boy looking for acceptance and needing acceptance and, uh, and finding that and, and, and instead facing that. Wow. Hmm. No, it's, it's just, it's interesting how 
things stem from your childhood and, and then continue with you, like you said, for, for years and years to come. And so fast forward to today, and now you've written a book, and what possessed, what, why, why? Why now? Well, I've written, this is my third book. Uh, I, I have written a book called the, uh, my, my, my most popular one today has been The Addicted Lawyer, which is my memoir, Tales of the Bars, Booze, Blow, and Redemption. And I, I thought it was important to uh, use the lessons I've learned. And uh, there are a lot of funny stories in it. We haven't even talked about me trading Mavericks ticket, championship tickets for cocaine. No. But, <laughs> yeah, we have, I can tell you all about that. Please do. <laughs> it was uh, June of 2006, and the Mavs are going to the NBA championship for the first time, right? Right. And as you might imagine, Mark's my brother. I'm going to get some good seats for those games. Yep. You know and a guy. I, I had the opportunity to get a couple of tickets for friends, really nice seats at uh, the American Airlines arena, uh, Center, not the arena, that's the heat. But, uh, and so I, uh, I didn't give them to my friends, and I didn't trade them on eBay. I sold them to my cocaine dealer for $1,000 in cocaine. So... My dealer shows up at my house. I was high class. He delivered. He gives me the cocaine. I give him the tickets. I go running up to my home office, dump it out on my wooden desk like I'm Scarface. I wanted to go rub my nose in at this giant cocaine mountain. And of course, I line it out and I have to do some, right? The cocaine had long stopped. I was really near the rock bottom at this point. And cocaine had long stopped giving me uh, the feelings I wanted. Rolled up the dollar bill. Cocaine, Cocaine users are an ironic bunch especially like we have the pandemic going on. You wash your hands. After the bathroom, you put the hand, hand, hand antiseptic on, but we'll stick a dollar bill up our nose. <laughs> that's been used by God knows who and has God knows what on it. Right. I mean, there's a study that says most dollar bills have cocaine <laughs> on it anyways, right? So, but, uh, and, then, and then I got all paranoid, guys. I go peeking out my window, you know, you have them stapled shut, the paranoia, the curtains, you go peeking out, thinking the cops are out there. They're not. But I take the cocaine, I hide it, I drive to a Home Depot, I buy electrical faceplates, a drill and a saw, electrical uh, outlet faceplates, a drill and a saw. I drive back to my house, I go to the drywall in the closets upstairs, and uh, I cut out these fake electrical outlets and drill, and like four or five of them. And I take the cocaine and I put it in smaller Ziploc baggies. I put it behind all these fake electrical outlets, close it back up, thinking I'm the smartest lawyer ever. Like the DEA, the cops, and the drug dogs have never thought of that before. (laughs) I line out a little more, do some more, and again, just paranoia. And it was never an epiphany that I might have a problem, guys. It was maybe I need a new dealer. And maybe I need to switch out the Grey Goose for the Jack Daniels. And then comes the paranoia again. I go to those same outlets. Bzz, 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 bzz. I take all the cocaine back out, put it back in the giant Ziploc baggie, go to my master bathroom and flush it down the toilet. Now it's about $900 worth of cocaine that I flushed down. I go to bed. I wake up the next morning. Huh. Did I flush all my cocaine down the toilet last night? What an idiot does that? There's another game tonight. So I call my brother up. I get two more tickets. I call my dealer up. He shows up in my house. He said, dude, you did all that last night. I didn't want to tell him I flushed it down the toilet like a moron. I said, yes, I did it all. Give me more. Okay. Though I, and I knew guys who did way more cocaine than I did, so I didn't even think that was a lot. But uh, he gives me the tickets. I, I give him the tickets. He gives me another baggie, of co- another baggie of cocaine. Rinse, wash, repeat. I would go back up to my home office. Oh my God. Dump it out on the desk again one more time. Right? And uh, line out some more, but just pain and shame put it behind the fake electrical outlets again, take it back out again about an hour later, go to that same bathroom where I'd flushed it the night before, drop to my knees like I'd done so many times, what praying or hoping for someone to take away the hangover of my pain and my shame and flushed it down the toilet again for the second night in a row. They say when Dallas flushes, it runs downhill to Houston. So <laughs> they've had a little hop in their step those two nights. The quote unquote insanity of addiction doing the same thing over and over the same way and expecting a different result. Yeah. Wow, what a story. It's, it, it reminds me of, uh, I just saw that documentary on Netflix about the uh, the Mets and the year they won the World with Series. Gooden and, and with, with Dwight Gooden. And I didn't realize that Gooden didn't even go to the team parade in New York after yeah. they won because he went he went straight to go see his drug dealer. Um, it's just, yeah, right. I mean, and I was, and I was no different. Like I told you guys, I... 
coming into Vegas, that's my first thought was, was to meet my cocaine dealer. I, I met him outside the, uh, you know, and it's new ownership. So I could say I'd meet him outside the palms. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> but back in the day. And is it hard for you now today? Like I know how they think that the saying, you know, day by day is, is it like that for you or you, you're completely past it? Uh, I mean, I'm always telling the story, so I don't want to be completely past it. Am I triggered by, am I triggered by alcohol? No. Uh, I don't hang around. I don't hang around anyone that does cocaine, right? That uses cocaine, at least to my knowledge. Right. And so uh, cocaine could be a trigger if I was around it. I haven't seen a cocaine line in, uh, since Easter weekend, 2007. So I'm very careful about who I hang around with. My circle of friends has shrunk down from the people who were my friends until at least till the cocaine is gone who to who my true friends are. Right. Yep. And none of them use or drink or drink to excess. So, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I always try to stay connected to my past because there are many lessons in it that I want to uh, hopefully impart to others to encourage one person to get help. And uh, if they, and that's what I do. I speak because I'm a lawyer. I tend to speak at a lot of law firms, a lot of bar association stuff. Uh, so maybe one day I'll be out at Clark County bar speaking. Uh, I've had talks with them now and then, but uh so yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to forget. Uh, do I do I walk? Do I waddle in it with depression? No, no. I don't have regrets uh, about my past because it got me here talking to you guys. Yeah. And uh, but I do. I do. I regret the people I hurt. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I try to make living amends for that uh, every day to the in, in lieu of the people that I can't make personal amends to. Uh, for the awful things I did. I mean, literally, guys, I was the during my active addiction for quite a few years, especially after Mark became internationally known uh, with the Maz. I was the biggest douchebag in Dallas County on the party circuit. I, it, it was because you had the le- you had leverage, yeah. right? What's that? Because you had leverage in yeah, social. I mean, and that's not Mark's fault. And that's not Mark's fault. I was somebody who had no identity. I looked in the mirror and saw somebody I just hated with a passion. Uh, I just despised myself and always had my entire life. So when Mark became famous and I had no uh, identity of my own, I didn't own my own suit, right? I wore everyone else's suit. So I thought, okay, well, since I can't be me because I hate that guy, I'll be Mark Cuban's brother. And people will give me free cocaine. I'll date girls half my age. And those relationships always revolved around drugs. Uh, and all these, all this fake adulation, uh, at least until the drugs are gone, at, that will keep me propped up artificial and that's not mark's fault and that's a, that's unsustainable right and that's not mark's fault i have my responsibility to create my own identity and i've worked very hard at that and i mean i'm proud to have the last name of cuban and i'm proud to be mark's brother and of course there are privileges that go with that you know it's uh, I, I i remember one time i was speaking in canada and there was this guy he was he was standing in the back and he had spoken before me I think it was pissed because the room was packed for my talk and no one was at his. And, and you know, and, and he said, he, I'm taking questions at the end. And he raised his hand. I, I call on him. And he said, what's it like just always being in your brother's shadow? And I look at him. I look at the audience. And I get that a lot. I said, it doesn't suck. Yeah. So there are privileges to that. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. You know, I, I don't even know if you know, but my dad is Tony Orlando. Uh, oh, no, but, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, and he had, he had yeah, about, he had a period of time where uh, it was cocaine one, Tony nothing uh, yeah. in the 70s. Um, and I get the the living in the shadow part, um, it, which is usually, it's all self-inflicted, right? It's like, they don't, they don't do it. We put ourselves in that shadow. Oh, no. Yeah. Market. I mean, my, not my, my whole family has done everything they could to support me. And I'm glad I have it. I'm glad I had the privilege I had because otherwise I might not be here today. I'd be living under a bridge. There was literally a time when I wasn't support. I couldn't, I wasn't supporting myself. I lost all my clients and Mark was supporting me. That is absolutely privilege. Yeah. But it's privilege that got me here into uh, closing on 15 years of recovery. I say all this as I have a Mark Cuban doll behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, do you find that now that you've gone through that whole experience and you're clean and you've been clean for a long time, are you closer to Mark than ever? Like, did it? Uh, did we've always, we've right. always been close. We, uh, we've always been close. Uh, I don't think there is, I, I, I don't view it on a continuum. 
because Mark, Jeff, and I have always been very, very close. I don't think there's ever been a time when we have not been close, you know, as compared to any other time. I mean, you all have your own lives, right? Sure. And you go through things. So especially when people are busy, you go through periods, but we're always texting and always uh, we talk and we're always making sure everyone's okay. So yeah, I, I don't see it as continuum because we have always been like this uh, from day one. And what does Jeff do for a lot, What's that? Jeff what? works for Mark. Uh, uh, he's, a, he's a VP over uh, Mark Cuban Companies and uh, he was with Magnolia Pictures for a while and I'm doing, doing you know, a lot of cool stuff, mostly in media. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and so that all allowed me to write my books and, uh, and now, I mean, delve into the creativity of my first novel. That's incredible. Yeah. When you write um, the books, uh, is it structured in a sense like, hey, I'm going to write from 9 a.m. to 5 or whatever, or yeah. is it just it's whenever it hits you creatively, right? A lot of people have to have that structure. Uh, I can't. I do my worst writing when I write because I have to. Uh, now, you get on deadlines and things like that, and you're writing because you have to, and I don't like that, but of course, I created all those you create those problems yourself by not getting stuff done when you need to get it done. Uh, especially when you get a publisher and an agent and all that stuff. So you all of a sudden deadlines pop up, but my best writing is when, uh, uh, when I'm just, when it just comes to me, I mean, I'll, I'll get hit with writer's block for the ambulance chaser. That happened all the time. I'll get hit with writer's block and then I'll be out running. I love Billy Joel. I'll go out and run listening to Billy Joel and I'll hear something in a lyric and a song and I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. And I'll, and I'll uh, dictate it into a phone or I'll, when I come home, I'll write and sites not, I use the five senses to trigger, uh, uh, to trigger ideas, everything yeah. I see here. And that's how I get out of writer's book. And I'm a little bitter because I can't go to the Billy Joel concert in town because I have a wedding that fucking weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'd actually look up tickets for the, for the Billy Joel concert in Vegas, but I saw he's coming to Pittsburgh and uh, to PNC Park, and that's kind of like going home to me. Because when I literally, uh, I used to hitchhike around to see Billy Joel in concert when I was at Penn State. Oh, wow. Okay. I was such a fan of Billy Joel. I still am. That I would hitchhike around. And it actually has a minor part in my book. Actually, music has a major part in my book. And Billy Joel has a minor part in my book. So I even integrated it into the ambulance chase. And I'm assuming you're a Steelers and Pirates fan? Absolutely. I bleed black and gold. And Penguins. But uh, the Pirates the most. I went to my, my father took me to my first Pirates game in 1969 uh, at Forbes Field against the Mets. And uh, there were times when I was in high school and college, especially during the summer, when I would go to 30 games a year, uh, just sitting in the bleachers. So we've had some rough times, some lean times, but I, I will always be a diehard Pirates fan. I'm a, that's probably my biggest baseball but I'm obviously a Steelers and Penguins fan as well. Uh, Penn State, I really didn't, I went to Penn State, but I was never a fanatical uh, Joe Paw guy or although, you know, I want him to win and it's nice, but I was never a fanatical college football fan, uh, not a college basketball fan. Obviously I'm a Mavs fan. And so, but it's, uh, yeah, Pirates, Pittsburgh. I have a very good friend who was the number one pick of the 96 draft that played for the Pirates, Chris Benson, pitcher. I don't know yes, if you remember yes, Chris. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Chris made yeah, Chris did pretty well. He had a pretty, he had a decent career. Yeah, he had a lot of arm, you know, surgery as they all do, shoulder and elbow stuff, you know. Uh but yeah, he he had a, made headlines in a few different ways. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his, his ex-wife Anna uh, kind of got yeah. him in some hot water there. Yeah, yeah I remember. That um, shows how big a Pirates fan I am. I yeah. Yeah. Uh when, so when we lost you from the internet connection, I had asked Adam uh, the Hall of Fame ballot just came out, and there's some names on there that it's their last year to try to get in. One of them is Barry Bonds. Uh, where do you stand on that for, like, Absolutely Barry? Not. Absolutely not. I'm a baseball purist. I, and, it, and I'll acknowledge there is, there's hypocrisy along the continuum, right? Right. I don't know who's used what and, you know, amphetamines or whatever, but I'll, but I'll live with that hypocrisy. Absolutely not. Really? He's a cheater. Okay, and so same. Uh, the new home run king is Hank Aaron. Okay, and Pete Rose, where do you stand on that? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's the hypocrisy. Uh, I mean, uh, 
for you know maybe it, you know, and maybe it's because I abused anabolic steroids for a long time. So we haven't talked about that. I had a huge period of abusing anabolic steroids and almost lost my leg. But so maybe that jades me. Oh wow! Bit. But uh, uh man, uh, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. But uh, absolutely not. Roger Clemens, absolutely not. Uh, if Ryan Braun ever comes around, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, I know A Rod's is it's a A Rod's on the first ballot. It's his first time, so that's a no. Yeah. No. There's no and there's no way he's getting in. I mean, at least. So, not anything, so. You, being a Pittsburgh guy, how do you feel about the possibility of uh, Mark, what is it, Henry uh, Fenway purchasing the Penguins? I, you know what? I, I mean, I think uh, from what I've read, it's just an, it's an ownership change and uh, could be a lot of money to be pumped into it. Mario has been good for t- the team. You want, you want to hear a good, good Mario story? Sure. Yeah. I want to hear how close Mark came to owning the Penguins. Oh, really? Yes. Huh. So in the, uh, it was 1999 and the Penguins, uh, I guess, I think his name was Frank or Ed Marino, a guy named Marino who owned EMC owned the Penguins and the tech, because the tech bubble and he declared bankruptcy. The Penguins were part of the bankruptcy. The Penguins were in serious danger of moving to Canada. So one of my law school class, they were looking for ways to stay in. And Mario Lemieux was in the mix because if they went into you know, in bankruptcy, Mario becomes an unsecured creditor, right? And his salary's in there and he wants to get a salary back. So he was looking to buy the team too. And so, and a great guy, great guy. But uh, so my law school uh, roommate emails me and said, hey, do you know anyone who might be interested in uh, going in on a deal with Mario to try to save the Penguins? And so I got at that time, I get I got stuff all the time. Right. I'm not Mark's messenger. I'm not I don't screen deals for Mark. And now people know better. But at that all the time. And it was my law school roommate. So I just forwarded on to him. And usually it's no, no, no. But I got an email back saying, well. Uh, who do you know? Oh, okay. So we all got together and uh, there was Mark's began a push uh, to buy the Penguins with Mario Lemieux. And I remember meeting with Mario and uh, now the late Sam Rich uh, and uh, Chuck Greenberg uh, at in, uh, in the lawyer's office at uh, this lawyer's office in Pittsburgh. And then Mark, uh, we drove out and Mark had a private meeting with Mario. And of course, Mark made me wait in a bagel shop while he did the meeting himself. And this was before <laughs> the era of a smartphone. So I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs for, for an hour and a half. And uh, we're driving back and to pit, we're staying at a hotel, the Omni Hotel in Dallas or in Pittsburgh. And he's on the phone getting ready to have uh, the first tranche of money wired into his account. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna be general manager of the Penguins. <laughs> Not really, right? But yeah. uh, and uh, I'm thinking, this is great. Maybe I'll move back to Pittsburgh. And so I didn't see Mark that night. We went out because the Pens were playing in the playoffs that night. Uh, so we went to the game and we went back to the hotel. I didn't see Mark. And I didn't talk to Mark the next day. And the next day, it was the, the, the deal was dead. And I was like, damn, what happened? And then Mark came out and said later and said, uh, there were just, I believe, his, too many lawyers involved, not enough business people, and a few different things like that. So, but everything works out for the best, right? Mario got the team. They won multiple Stanley Cups. What was it? That was May of 99. Mark bought the Mavs in June or January 2000. So everything worked out perfectly. Who knows if Mark would have bought the Mavs if he had bought the Penguins. Right. Was there ever a, you know, you guys, your whole family being from Pittsburgh, would there ever be a an idea that, he would want a basketball team in Pittsburgh or would that ever I'd never speak for Mark. I mean, no, I, I know that. I know that, but like, would you want that? Cause I know oh, you're sure. a basketball I mean, fan. I mean, sure. I, I think it would be, I mean, I think it would be great. The last they had was the Condors, right. In the old, uh, in the old ABA. And before that, I think it was the Pipers. Yeah. It's funny so, to me how you think about these big cities like Pittsburgh and, you know, in LA for so many years without right. a football team. Right. And they have like three of the big four or two of the big four, you know, and it's just yeah. always it's shocking. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would love to think that. I mean, I again, I am. I've lived in Dallas now and over thirty years, but I mean, Pittsburgh is you know the soft spot home, and I would love to think that they could support a team. But I mean, look at the Pirates' attendance. 
right now, right? So, and it's still go. probably the nicest ballpark in Beautiful. Major League Baseball. Beautiful, and the Pirates are awful right now. And uh, you know, I'd be blunt; I'd rather see a change in Pirates ownership than any than a new team in Pittsburgh. But uh, I think that sh- ship has sailed. Yeah. So uh, that uh, I mean, let's get the Pirates attendance up and worry about, and then see Pittsburgh supportive winning baseball team. Right. And, which I hope we will be one day. Yeah. Is are we going to have baseball this coming season? I'm guessing not at the start. Really? Yeah, I'm I'm guessing there's going to be a uh a, lock, a strike or a lockout. Yeah. And right. uh I don't know uh what the hard-hitting issues will be, but I would think a salary cap should, would certainly be some one of the things that's needed in baseball. Yeah. Uh, if the Pirates are going to compete. That's very true. Uh, the, the small markets. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, small markets win. I mean, small markets are able to, you know, you see Milwaukee or Tampa. Walmart and Tampa, small markets are able to do well. So I don't know that you can blame, uh, just put the blame on small market. But I, I would love to see a salary, a hard, hard cap. Right. I'd love to see a hard cap in baseball. As a Dodger fan, that hurts me. But (laughs) (laughs) although I think we're going to lose Corey Seager to your team, to your Yanks, the Yankees. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I don't think the Pirates are ever are going to see a change in ownership. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the nuttings from Adam, but they're not local people. I'd love to see a local owner. It's funny the difference of owners. You know, Mark obviously is pretty famous for being an owner that really puts players first and and makes the locker room nice and all that stuff. But when Chris Benson got, he probably hates me for saying this, but I've never said this before, but when Chris got traded to the Mets, I remember he called me uh, as he was getting off the jet that the Wilpons at the time sent him. And, uh, and uh, I was like, how is it? And he's like, dude, he's like, I finally feel like a big league baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, back yeah. then he was, yeah. he was playing get- three rivers. I mean, that was a piece of shit stadium yeah yeah but it was it was it was you know what it was our piece of shit stadium yes and, uh, this is true but it was a football a stadium memory, i have a lot of me- great memories of three rivers uh mark used to uh uh mark used to take us to double headers and these were back in the this was back in the day when the pirates and the cardinals were a huge rivalry yeah so i remember him taking me to a double header against the cardinals and uh these were the days when you played a lot of uh, when doubleheaders were a big thing, right? You didn't have these morning, evening doubleheaders. There were doubleheaders all the time on July 4th, on Labor Day. And so we would buy the worst seats in the place. We would uh, go to the deli and he would buy a corned beef sandwich and we would enter and he would bribe the guard at the box seats with a corned beef sandwich to let us into the box seats and we'd find empty seats. I mean, he was wheeling and dealing on just about anything back then. That's awesome. <laughs> so I can't even picture. I mean, I can picture it, but it's just it's funny. How... A corned beef sandwich. Yeah. Nice yeah. Corned beef. Have you ever seen the movie? Uh, have you ever seen the, what's the movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio about the Wolf of Wall Street? Catch me if you can. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Buy this corned beef sandwich, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Tell us before we go. Tell us more about the book. Um, my new book is my debut fiction book. It is called The Ambulance Chaser. It is uh, right here. It is about a Pittsburgh, as you might expect, uh, personal injury lawyer who finds himself accused of the murder of a uh, one-time high school classmate 30 years prior after her remains are discovered in a vacant lot. He is arrested and charged with their murder, and he flees and becomes a fugitive from justice to find the one person who can both prove his innocence and save the life of his uh, abducted son. I love it. Tell me when the movie's coming out. Who's who's got the the movie rights? I don't know about the movie, but the book is being released December 7th. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's your, that's your third book, but your first, uh, my first novel. And it's, uh, it has some good buzz. It's, uh, I've had multi thousands of pre-orders, so we'll see. How did you come up with the story? Believe it or not, the story, the, the general story started with a reoccurring dream I had, kind of a dark, very dark reoccurring dream. I haven't had it in a while, maybe it's because I wrote the book, about uh, be watching a bonfire right in this vacant lot down from my house where I grew up uh, with, with my high school best friend throwing bodies into this bonfire and watching them burn. 
Oh my God. And, and then the dream fast forwards decades later, when I have this just awful feeling that I'm going to be arrested for these bodies that have never been discovered. And that was the genesis of the ambulance chaser. Wow. That's cool. And I've never burned bodies in a bonfire. So yeah, we didn't peg you for that. <laughs> there, are, there are parts of me in the uh, protagonist, Jason Feldman, but uh, I've never been accused of murder, at least not yet. <laughs> You've got a great story, Brian. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's always interesting to me. It's like, uh, you know, maybe it's cause I, as I get older, I'm more aware of, of the dynamic of everyone has a struggle at some point, some sort of a struggle, you know, and, and, People forget or, or assume because, oh, your brother's Mark Cuban, that you are problem free in life, right? Uh, because my dad's Tony Orlando, I don't know what struggle means. What did, uh, what did, uh, what did Mark say? Uh, wasn't too long ago. Money, if you're happy, money can make you happier. But if you are unhappy, it will not make you happy. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely, I've, I've lived through that uh, 20 years ago myself. Uh, of being very unhappy and I had lots of money uh, and it doesn't yeah. solve all the problems. Sure. It helps some fix some problems, but it, uh, no. And uh, I, I get quite often, what do you have to be unhappy about? And you just let it, I mean, especially in the era of the internet, what's the point, right? Okay. Uh, it's not my job to, you know, to, to teach you about uh, those stigma. And uh, if, if that's your attitude, I'm probably not going to change it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, everyone has struggles. Everyone has struggles, and we respond to them differently. Yeah. Well, congrats on your success. I can't wait to. I'm going to get the book. I'm it comes out when? December seventh. Yes, it comes out December seventh. But be sure to pre-order it if you're uh, for for the next two weeks. Twenty five percent of the proceeds uh, go to the Alzheimer's Association for Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Uh, my father, before he passed, struggled mightily with dementia, as did my wife's father. Uh, okay, and where where do we go to pre-order it? You can go to authorbriancuban.com or uh, straight to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Okay. Amazing. I'm, I'm buying today. I am as well. All thank right. Um, Brian, thank, thank you, you so much for stopping by and talking to the action junkies here. This was, this was really fun, and thanks for uh, putting up with the internet glitch uh, early on. It was all good. I love to hear myself talk anyway. <laughs> especially, when no one, especially when no one's listening. That's <laughs> awesome. Yes. Well, we only have four listeners. So, you know, no. Uh, no, I know when we had the, no, yeah, yeah. the internet outage. Yeah. Talking to no one listening. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link. This will go up uh, on this Sunday. Uh, so I will send you a link and uh, we'll, we'll get this get the word out for your book. Sounds great. I really enjoyed it. Reach out anytime. Thank Thanks, you, man. Brian. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Bye-bye. That's Brian Cuban, everybody. It was nice. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. It's good, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's outside the box. Yeah. You, know, you don't think of, like you said, people that grew up in, and come from privilege in certain ways, mm -hmm. the struggles. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. But it's interesting his take on uh, the baseball. I was yeah, surprised. Yeah. I didn't I think was he was going to say that. I was surprised. Yeah. Really it's interesting was. because you would think uh, just on second chance highway. Yeah. But he does, I get it. I get the point of view, though, for but sure. But he's a purist, and I, yeah. I, I, res I completely respect, and you know, I like that. Yeah, and that's your point, is that that's all the baseball writers are, are that's mm -hmm. how they sound, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah, it'll be interesting. I can't, I can't imagine, though, a, a Hall of Fame without, without Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Kind of crazy. All right. Well, uh, hey, it's good to see you, stranger. Good to see you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Let's I do mean, this. Can I say one thing, though? Yes. Your hair. Dude, it's crazy, right? I mean, look at this shit. Look at this. Look at this shit. I mean, that's just nuts, okay? I, I took a photo. Shout out to Vegas Hair Transplants and Dr. Corsandi. I took a photo. I was in L.A. And we, uh, a couple days ago, and we, we had an early flight. And so I literally, I literally rolled out of bed. I didn't touch my hair, and it was like it looked incredible. No, that's what happened. Yeah, you know who we have to get a shout out to? Who this weekend? Uh, I know this goes up Sunday. But yeah, make sure you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. Oh, uh, Johnny Cocktails. You know what? Yes. We'll put it up before that. We need okay. to put it up before that. You're right. Because um, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. Cocktails on um, on. Uh, what, what's Curb your, yeah, your enthusiasm, Larry, Larry David. David. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. It was pretty funny. He posted, and then I reposted it. Like he's like, all of these people have something in common. It's like him and Adam Sandler. Uh -huh. Yeah, they've all done that show. Uh, yeah, you know, 
I don't know if you've ever have you gone to Brad Grunberg. I mean, we call him Johnny Cocktails, yeah. but Brad Grunberg. Uh, have you gone to his IMDb before? Yes, I He's have. He's been in over a hundred movies. Oh, it, like yes. the guy is a working actor for you know twenty, thirty years. Yeah, um, it's pretty impressive. No, absolutely. You, yeah, I mean, and and you know the one role that I always relate back to is I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry yeah when he's the fat guy and then you know he's farting on Adam Sandler's you know so yeah yeah that's the one that always yeah. comes to mind but I saw that you uh, got to experience Annie though too in the car I did yes uh, <laughs> he picked us up he, he was nice enough to take us down to the airport from downtown because dude do you know how much it costs right now to go from LAX to downtown in an Uber? With the shortage, I can't. It's it's got to be a hundred bucks. When we got there, it was a hundred and twenty-seven dollars. Um, yesterday, I saw someone post for Lyft, same thing, mm. right? Downtown to LAX yesterday, two thirty-nine, three something. If you wanted like Uber Black, if you wanted a you know like the, the limo version or whatever, yeah. Um, yeah, so he took us down there, and Annie uh, was uh, well riding uh, shotgun slash with, in the back of the pint size war here. Yeah, <laughs> cute dog though, love it. Yeah, all right, dude, let's do this again. Uh, I know you're. We're both. Uh, we both have day jobs now, so uh, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to do this, but I always miss it. It's fun. Absolutely. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Oh.